Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I have a very special guest today, and her name is Michelle Benio. Michelle is a certified grief recovery specialist, a parent coach, and founder of Good Grief Parenting. After her six-year-old son died of cancer, her three-year-old daughter said, Mommy, half of me is gone. This heartbreaking statement focused Michelle's career as an early childhood parenting specialist on the impact of grief on young children, particularly after child loss. Michelle equips parents and other caring adults to recognize young children's grief and to provide the support children need to cope with any kind of loss. The desire of Michelle's heart is to see families live forward after loss toward a bright future with possibilities and even joy. Thank you so much, Michelle, for taking the time to be on our show, Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. I'm happy to be here today. So tell me more about Good Grief Parenting. Good grief parenting is what I needed when I found myself as a parent after a child had died with a young sibling who articulated what I think so many kids aren't able to say but really feel, and that is that half of them is gone. I, you know, I was an early childhood parent educator at the time, so my focus was on um, the development and uh, you know, the identity formation and the relationships and all of that of really young children. And I knew that when she made that statement to me, it was true. It was true that half of her was gone. Her big brother had been there her whole life. And so because that was my area of focus, I just was really deeply, deeply impacted by the realization of, of what that was going to do to her development for the rest of her life. And so I, I thought I knew where to find the resources because I was in that field. And, and I should say that this was 20 years ago. She, this little three and a half year old is now 25 years old. Um, so I've had all of these years to to learn the impact of the sibling uh, relationship. But at the time, I just thought, okay, I'll find the resources. I'm in this early childhood uh, education space, and there just really weren't resources there. And I knew then, being the educator at heart that I was, that if it didn't exist someday, this is what I was going to have to do. And so here I am, these years later, um, taking what I've learned, not just from my own journey with her, because uh, 
as I tell her, I wish I'd known when you were three and a half, all that I know now, because over the last 20 years, I've gleaned a lot. There's been more that has become available, um, but I am filling that space for these forgotten grievers, um, these little siblings. People recognized my loss as a as a parent who lost a child. You know, everybody identified with that, but few people identified with her loss. So that's what brought me to this place. And what is the approach? Where do you even start? I I was reading through your bio and about good grief parenting, and I'm so impressed with the process that that you go through with these families. And you're absolutely right. Even as a pediatrician, I don't always think about, we, we think about how this loss affects the whole family, mm-hmm. but we're really how to approach and, and help a three-year-old or a child at any age understand because, and I just did a podcast uh, recently about telling the kid, telling kids the truth. Yes. And also even talking about illness, because if we don't talk to them and really fill them, I don't want to say fill them in, but, but if we're not open and honest and let them see your emotions, but also let them understand they're going to fill in the blanks themselves. They're going to absolutely. Think- I listened to that episode of yours and I loved it. It it is it was such good guidance. It's very much the guidance that I give parents. And you know, I started my journey with this, saying, okay, I'm going to serve these little kids. I I say that I want to be a voice for the youngest of grievers, because most of them are not going to say what my daughter said. But I realized that I can't uh, just start there. I really do need to start with the parents. First of all, the fact that a parent who's who's um, has a child who's experienced the loss of a sibling is a parent who's grieving the death of their child. Mm-hmm. And so they are doing the two toughest jobs that we're ever called to do. Parenting under the best of circumstances is tough. And then grieving the loss of a loved one and a child and and parents are trying to do that at the same time. So I need to start there with parents, helping them, you know, acknowledging this challenge for them and their own grief and recognizing that much of what we bring into adulthood around grief is not necessarily helpful and healthy. And that's because that's what we were given as children. And I didn't know any of this when I lost my son. It was the first loss I had. I had to learn all of this. And one of those ideas is I want to protect my child. I want to shelter my child. I don't want my three and a half year old to have to face this. It's painful and I just don't want to deal with it with them. But we really do have to. We have to be comfortable with the word dead. That's one of the hardest things when you talk about imagine. Yes. When you talked about that on your podcast, I thought, yes, it's hard for us, not because dead is a difficult word for the three and a half year old. It's just another vocabulary word, like all the vocabulary words they're learning at that age. 
but for us as adults, we have the full understanding of that. And no one wants to say my child died or my husband died or, you know, my father died. So being honest with children is is more than just telling the parent you need to be honest. It's really the parent getting comfortable with what that means. And your guidance was so spot on with the idea that, you know, we don't have to give them a lot of details. We keep it very simple for this young age, but they will, they will fill in the blanks. You mentioned that sometimes as um, unrealistic or unreasonable as it may seem to us, sometimes they may even feel like somehow it's their fault. Yes. There are all of these things that they, um, that they will start fabricating in their minds if, if we don't give them the accurate details. And one of the things with young children experiencing grief for us as adults to remember too, is that as they grow up, they're going to understand more and more. And then they're going to ask questions when they're older, and you'll give them information at the stage that they're at. It's not like you're going to have one conversation when they're a toddler and then never talk about it again, but you are giving them honest information so that they are not uh, thinking when we say, oh, they're gone or they're not coming back. The child doesn't somehow think that maybe they can. So yeah, very, your advice was very good. Thank you. Very good. Yes. I, I'm I glad to, with it all. I'm glad to hear that because mm-hmm. it, it's not an easy subject and no. we, you know, and I understand that just like you said, you didn't want your daughter to be sad or feel sad, but mm-hmm. we, we really underestimate kids that, um, and by teaching them how to regulate their emotions that, and to learn it as early as possible and, and understand mm-hmm. that those emotions will change over time, I think is, is very important. You know, we, when we talk about grief and we talk about the stages of grief, what, do, what are the differences between how adults grieve and how children grieve? Well, first of all, let me say that uh, the stages of grief are non-existent. Those stages that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross identified were actually stages for someone who themselves was diagnosed with a terminal illness. So all of that denial and anger and everything makes more sense in that context. It was never intended to be a way that people process grief. And when I was a a parent, a a newly bereaved parent, many people told me about those stages. And I thought, I'm doing grief wrong because I didn't experience those things. I wasn't doing that. And I I actually thought I'm doing what's wrong with me. I'm not doing grief right. And I think you'll find that there there are many of us in the grief space that are trying to help people recognize let's just let's just set those stages aside because the the fact is that um We've experienced many, many different feelings and emotions and even physical um, manifestations of grief. Everyone does things very differently and not in a particular order. But your question was, how do kids do it differently? And that's so important for parents to recognize because 
um, we do, we see grief in adults there. When someone is grieving, we typically know that they are with a child. We don't see their grief so often. Um, you know, my daughter said to me, mommy, half of me is gone. But had she not said that, when I observed her on a day-to-day -day basis, I wouldn't have looked at her and said she's a grieving child because children play. You know this, you're a pediatrician, you know that they process and uh, so much of what's going on with them at, at this age, when they don't necessarily have the, the um, vocabulary, they do a lot of processing through Play, play and that's how they do grief the other thing that they do is um is behaviors and even just as adults may lose their appetite or not be able to sleep well children may lose their appetite and not be able to sleep well may be more irritable than usual um, may be behaving more aggressively, may become a four-year-old, may start acting like a, a two-year-old being clingy Regress. and whiny and doing things that you think, what's, you know, we're past this. Why are you doing this? Things that make adults, um, especially because those twos and threes and fours are when we're really trying to teach children to regulate their emotions and manage their behavior. So we often kind of continue on that um, bent of managing their behavior and teaching them what's appropriate instead of recognizing that this is not purely development. This is response to uh loss and grief. And this is how this child is processing this. And so we need to handle it by acknowledging that we know that there's this other piece that, um, that is upsetting them, bothering them, that they have these feelings inside that don't feel good. And we want to be comfortable with, again, saying to the child, um, you know, things are, are, don't feel really good in our house right now. We're all missing David. I feel really, really bad. And sometimes I even feel kind of angry and, you know, do you feel that way? Or, you know, when do you miss David? Or are you thinking about David right now? Is that why you're acting kind of mad or, you know, these things that, and helping kids understand what's going on with them. Um, so they do grieve through their behavior and often in ways that we don't even see. And so that really ties in with adults who often say, um, you know, they don't, it doesn't seem to be bothering them. So it must not be. And then we don't talk to them because as adults, we really don't want to talk to them about it. So we just kind of take advantage of that. And, and parents should know that whether your child looks like they're grieving or not, if there has been a loss in the family that's impacting the family, you can be sure that it is impacting the child. I'm so glad that you mentioned that just going back to adults and that, you know, idea that there are stages, because I, I agree with you that many times people will think, well, what's wrong with me that I haven't gone through that? And right. for sure, I know that children don't, there are no stages of grief for, for children. 
So it, right. it makes perfect sense to me. And I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. thankful that you clarified that because I think that's something very important. I can only imagine, though, being a parent and going through the grief process and trying to help their child at the same time mm-hmm. would be very difficult because, like you said, sometimes we don't even notice what it is that they could be doing. And and there's an assumption that they're trying to misbehave or get attention when in all actuality, they don't really know what they want to say or do. And so that's all they know how to manage. And exactly, I'm bringing the point up again, because I think it's just so important for, for, you know, families to understand that that's normal. And it's also normal for them to be, to play and, act like nothing ever happened. But that does not mean that they aren't experiencing that loss as well. Yes. And two things I'd say to that are, yes, they're not going to be in their grief continually the way adults are because they, they're just not equipped to deal with emotion in that way. They need to take breaks from that emotion. It's, it's really, those are really big feelings, confusing feelings to them. And so they don't stay in it the way adults do. And so, yes, it's not that they're not affected that, that does really bear uh, repeating. And the other thing I would say, say is that the parent is not the same either. When you've lost a child, you're no longer the same parent. You can't do parenting the same. You uh, you don't have the resources to parent that you had. And so, and you know, your child needs you. So you are really in a difficult place. And the thing that I want parents to recognize when, because I talk about how to help your child, and one of the things I want to help parents know is that it isn't um, it isn't hard to help your child, and it doesn't need to require of you all of these big resources that you don't have. What it simply means to help your child is to be honest, not then you don't have to hide the feelings, you don't have to hide, you don't have to pretend. That should be easier for you and it's better for the child. And then just going through it with them, it's perfectly okay for them to know that you're really sad and to see you cry because what you are doing is modeling for them the truth of how a person feels when they've had the loss of something that was that they loved that was really important to them. You're simply teaching them the reality of life that some things that we love and care about, we lose and then we feel really bad. And it's good for kids to know that. The important piece is, and I have a program, my program for families after child loss is called see your way forward after child loss. And that's the important thing that at some point, and it's, it's not a certain time, it's not when someone else tells you, you should, it's not easy when you are ready, you you realize, okay, it's time for us to see our way forward. And your child will know we had this thing happen. I see that mom can still take care of me. She's sad, but she can still take care of me. We're going to be okay. And you start seeing your way forward. So just 
having it be a family uh, situation, having it be a family experience, as opposed to hiding it from your child, allowing there to be an elephant in the room that nobody talks about. Those are the things that are not helpful for children, and they're not helpful for you either. Do you think that that's one of the biggest mistakes that parents make? I mean, I feel bad even saying that because, you know, in in any state of mind, it's it sometimes on a day to day basis, just being a parent can be mind boggling. I can only imagine, you know, what parents would be going through and just having that need to know that they're doing what's right for the rest of their family. Mm hmm. And you are, you need to be gentle on yourself. There are no perfect parents. There are no perfect parents under the best of circumstances. There are certainly no perfect parents now. I would, you know, I I mentioned that I say to my daughter, uh, because I I became a a single parent um, soon after this, and I say to her, I wish I could have given you the things that I now know would have been good things, but didn't know then. And she always reassures me that I was a good mom. I was the mom she needed. She reminds me of the things I did for her that, you know, that were good, that I was a good parent. Your kids will just appreciate you being in this with them. You, I, I just really want parents to hear what you said that, you know, this is hard and you can't, you are going to worry about doing the right thing, but, but please, let yourself release yourself from that because you are going to be parenting with your heart and with your own wisdom that is in there guiding you whether you feel like it or not and you are a good parent so yes absolutely and I and I love how you express that because it is always you know, I mean, teaching these families how to deal with their own grief and then how to help their child go through that process as well. And having that support, you know, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. from something like Good Grief Parenting, which, you know, you have founded, but even just don't be afraid, you know, they always say it takes a village, right? Don't be afraid Mm -hmm. to you know, look for those supports and those people who can lift you up and also your, your family and give yourself grace because it's a, it's an hour by hour, day to day, week by week. And like you said, there's no time limit. Like there's no timing on this where Mm -hmm. it's, well, if you haven't gotten to this point by this time, you know, then blah, blah, blah. But Right. Yeah. Just one day at a time. And, Mm -hmm. and, and really know that just loving your child and knowing that they love you unconditionally. Yes. They're so much more forgiving than, than I think we are sometimes to ourselves. Mm -hmm. They're very Mm -hmm. forgiving to us, but just being present Mm -hmm. and, and letting them see, I, I, when you were telling that story about seeing your emotion, we had a loss in our family recently, and I remember one of the kids saying to their grandmother, you know, are you sad? And she's like, yes, I'm sad, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and they talked about it, and it was, it was such a great example of 
they them understanding why they were sad instead of like I said before filling in the blanks and thinking right. what did I do because a lot of times if if kids don't know then they're going to think somehow it's their fault or that right. I did something wrong and this mm-hmm. is why my parent is is acting the way that they do mm-hmm. because they certainly do pick up on it you know one of the things the other story that i share about my daughter because she really was my case study that you know if anyone ever doubted how these uh crises in families affect young children when she my son was diagnosed with cancer when my daughter was only 15 months old and um, you know as you can imagine it was a traumatic thing in our family and of course she heard conversations you know saw our emotion and the first night that uh, my son was in the hospital overnight his dad was with him in the hospital and I was home with my 15 month old and she started wandering around the house upstairs and downstairs to David's bed, to the garage door, just wandering. And she was wailing. She was making a sound that was inhuman. I've never heard anyone sound like that. It was so alarming to me. I would go to her and try to comfort her and she'd push me away and throw herself on the floor. She was 15 months old and she was just feeling with every cell of her body that our family had been turned up upside down, and that something horrible was going on. So, you know, these little ones do pick up on it. We that really taught us in the very beginning, that when we were going through this with our son, she was going through it too. This Mm -hmm. was her life too. I didn't want it for her, but it was. And so in those two and a half years, as we were in and out of the hospital and he was having various procedures and being on the eighth floor of children's hospital in the oncology ward with bald kids and taped up kids. She was there. We didn't leave her with neighbors. um, And we saw very few siblings up there. But we said, you know, we're not going to have three of us in one place and her somewhere else, not knowing what's going on and not being a part of it. And I just really feel that that was a good decision for us, for her sake. For one thing, she got to continue that, have a relationship with her brother that wouldn't have been nearly as strong if she had been apart from him every time he was in the hospital. But she just really did, um, you know, opened my eyes from the very beginning about how impactful this was for her and that we needed to make sure her, uh, her process, uh, processing of it all was in our hands and we were helping her with it. At what age do you, I mean, that's, that's amazing that she Mm -hmm. could, like you said, with every cell in her body, understand that something was changing that there yes. that there was something going on. At what age do you feel children understand death and and then and and how does that change over time? Like you said it their conversation is going to change as they get older and mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. At what mm-hmm. age would you say if you can even I mean with a range maybe Mm -hmm. because every child is different. Right. 
that parents can understand, okay, I really do think they can understand that word death, like you said, and, and, and then when do you think that it, if, if in any, does it change where they Mm -hmm. start Mm -hmm. to, it becomes more concrete, I guess, is the word Mm -hmm. I'm trying to say. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, the important thing, because we do, as adults, we do try to figure that out. The The important thing about my 15-month-old and even younger is that they pick up on our feelings and they, they can discern good, uh, secure, happy feelings from insecure, confusing this doesn't feel good. This person that's holding me is more tense than they usually are. The words are louder. Someone's crying. Young children pick up on all of those things. And so even if they don't know what it means, they know this feels good. This doesn't doesn't feel good. And so that's why we need to help them when we recognize there's something that doesn't feel good because they're feeling insecure and confused because they don't know what it is. So what they need from us is for us to hold them, speak softly to them, you know, and and just comfort them and, and give them that security back. With my daughter, um, you know, as she she was there when these things were happening. We never hid from her the fact that this was really a serious thing. When David died at three and a half, she was prepared. We had talked about it. In fact, my son was not quite seven. And he had asked me, do you think I'll live to see my seventh birthday? And we had actually said, no, honey, I don't think you will, because we knew he had had every procedure um, that his cancer had retreated and come back again. And they did everything they could, stem cell transplant, radiation, blood transfusions, high dose chemo. There was nothing more we could do. We knew he was going to die. And so she knew that. And she understood that he was going to be gone. What we tell children at that stage, because she doesn't She knew, I think, more than some kids because we had exposed her so much to it that there was this finality that he was gone. For kids that don't have that two and a half years of exposure, we say his body stopped working. That's how we explain death to them when they don't know the permanence of it because that doesn't come until you know four or five where they recognize the permanence of it but we say his body stopped working he can't do any of the things he used to be able to do he can't hear you he can't talk to you he can't move or play he can't eat his body's dead and we just tell them that's what it is as they get older They'll ask why, you know, my daughter over the years would ask questions as she got older. Tell me again, what happened to David? What was it like when he had cancer? Because she didn't grow up with very many memories. She was really too young to hold on to those memories. And so they'll ask and they'll realize as they get older, other things. Um, you know, like, oh, 
what was it like when we were going through that? The thing about not using the word dead with young children is that, um, you know, you can explain it in the same way when they're young, but the thing is when they get older and you said, oh, you know, David's gone away, we're not going to see him anymore. And then when they get old enough to know what dead means and they learn that their brother died, for some kids, that's a whole new understanding. You mean he's never coming, he's dead? I know what dead means and he's not coming back. So for those kids, when they really do know the word, it can feel like death all over again. So we give them the word and at some point they, you know, they gain more and more understanding of it. We use teachable moments. The bird that they find lying on the sidewalk, we say, oh, this bird, you know, not flying around like birds usually are. We say, oh, remember what happened to grandpa? This bird is dead. They can't, uh, you know, their body stopped working. So they learn it gradually, but but it's best to just give them the word before they really know what it's what it means and let them grow into it. And so how, how do you feel like your program, like the Good Grief Parenting, is it, is it unique to other programs that you've heard about? And is it unique because it does help the sibling with the child, with, you know, the sibling loss, not just yes. focusing on the parent? I mean, that, yeah. That's what yes, it that, like. that it is, you know, I still to this day, I there, there is nothing that I have seen anywhere that is at all like what I do. I would and agree. I would agree. And the best way that I can explain it, I found this early on because I, I have trouble telling people what I do because they don't know there's nothing else like it because I'm not a grief counselor. I'm a grief specialist, which means I understand how grief impacts parents and kids and families, and I help them process that. But I'm not a therapist if someone really needs to grapple with it. And so um, there is a quote by an author named Anne Royfe, who wrote a book after her husband died. And she said, there are two parts to grief. The first part is loss. And the second part is the remaking of life. And most of us get a lot of help with the loss. That's what grief support groups do. When you lose a loved one, you go into a grief support group and they help you with this loss and they help you get adjusted and acclimated to your, the fact that you have grief. But then you leave that group and you live the rest of your life and grief is still there. It doesn't go away. Does it dominate your life forever and ever? No, no, it doesn't have to. You will, you can have bright possibilities and joy in your life, but your grief will still be there. And so I help families with that remaking of life. I had a three and a half year old who said half of me is gone. And I thought, oh, no, you don't. You're not taking half of my child's life, you know, self away when she's three and a half. We are going to navigate this and I'm going to figure out how to help her grow up whole and happy. And so that's what good grief parenting is all about. It is my own um 
my own program, my own framework, and I have four pillars. The first one is, and I call them heartbeats, four heartbeats. Oh, I love and that. And the first one is um, good grief beliefs. And that is that whole piece of what we believe about grief. I say grief is good because if we don't resist it and fight it tooth and nail and stick it under the rug and never think about it, it will work through us. We, it's a process that will help us heal. It is intended for that and it's intended to be good. So I start with good grief beliefs and helping parents say, okay, this grief thing, I, I can handle this grief thing. This is how we're going to do it. And then the next step is recognizing the shift in the area of grief that um, so many people bump into when, when others tell us, don't you think it's time to move? on? Don't you think it's time to quit talking about that person? Don't you think it's time to, you know, clean out their, their bedroom? No, it isn't. You don't ever have to do that if you don't want to. There is now a, uh, an approach to grief that uh, is, that's called continuing bonds that acknowledges that actually being able to continue the relationship with our loved one is healing and helpful. Death ends a life, but it doesn't end a relationship. My daughter uh, was still a sibling, even though she didn't have any other li living brothers or sisters around her growing up. She wasn't an only child. She was a sibling. And so that's why my work with families in uh, early childhood sibling loss is so important because that sibling relationship remains and continuing bonds is a huge part of the family living forward with the loss of this person. And the third piece is essential messages. And this is where I really start getting into, um, you know, the parenting piece of living forward with this young child. And it's all the things that that young child needs to know because their world was shaken when they were three and a half, their, their childhood innocence was stolen. They know that bad things happen. They know the world is insecure. So they need essential messages from us like, um, I'm, I love and miss your brother. I'm so sorry he's gone, but I'm so glad you're here. You're my I call my daughter my precious treasure. You're my precious treasure. And, you know, you're still here. And I'm so glad, even though I talk about him and miss him, you are capable. You are loved. Um, you know, you can handle things. We don't want to tell kids everything's going to be okay because clearly things aren't always okay, but they can handle it. And so helping them build resilience. So that third heartbeat is essential messages. And then the fourth one is what I call choice actions, which is based on the first three heartbeats, then what are you going to do in your family? What are the you know, commitments you're going to make about how you're going to live forward? Um, you know, how are you going to manage your child's uh, how are you going to manage your parenting and your upbringing and your your uh, self-care and your well-being in your family and what choices are you going to make and so learning those are to the four yeah, pieces i and that's amazing michelle i 
I've been a pediatrician now for 25 years. And like you said, this is, this is a unique approach, mm-hmm. but so important. And I, I, I love the pillars because it just helps put it all together because it's going to be a balance and yes. it's something that, you know, they're going to balance for the rest of their lives. And yes. And they can balance it. We don't like grief, but you know what? It, we can befriend it and um, put it in its place and live forward with it. And I love that expression, live forward, because mm-hmm. we could we could apply that to so many things. But in, yes. in this talk, in this topic, in this grief and managing it, and you're right, if it was so easy just you know, and just to say, it's going to be okay. That's just not enough. And Mm -hmm. they, they need, like you said, those essential messages and understand too, that you love them. And Mm -hmm. that just because you're sad or you miss who in the family you have lost, it doesn't, it doesn't change your love for them. Right. And you know, when they're ready to move forward Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing your knowledge and your experience and your story and just so grateful to hear these messages. And I really hope that there's someone out there. If we've helped one family handle something so important as grief Mm -hmm. and moving forward, I think. I just, I know I'm blessed just from hearing your message. Mm-hmm. And we are absolutely going to be sharing how people can get a, a hold of you and be yes. able to work with you, um, especially if they're in this situation and, and have right. a need. Mm-hmm. Thank You're, you, yes. It's so inspirational to hear what what you took as a challenge and now the lives that you're you're changing the children and the families that, that you're changing. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And thank yes. you for, well, thank you for having me here. Yes. It's been and an I, honor. And, well, I, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we, we got this, this today <laughs> and um, it, that we got a chance to talk and yes, I just invite anyone to go to my website um, and which is goodgriefparenting.com. And you can get in touch with me there, schedule a time to talk with me, pick up my good grief guide, which is a, a free resource. And um, yes, I just hope that this encourages parents that they can get through this really, really uh, life-changing, devastating experience that they can live forward from. Thank you again. And thank you for being a part of growing up with Dr. Sarah. And don't forget to listen wherever you like to um, go for your shows like Spotify or Apple podcast. And let's learn to grow up together.